Our Father, we never want to take for granted the blessing and the privilege of gathering together as we are now. And uh, we know that this is your design, uh, that on a weekly basis there would be a unique day in seven that you would have us to gather, that we might uh, be fed by you, that we might share in the fellowship and in the life of Christ that you have brought uh, so many of us to through faith. And we pray for any for whom uh, there's not that faith that you would even work today to bring them uh, to such repentance and faith in Christ. And we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is sufficient for all that you desire for us in life and in godliness, uh, that we might know you, that we might walk worthy of the calling that you've given us as your people, and uh, Lord, that we would be faithful to that so that you would be glorified and so that the gospel would go forward. And so we pray that you'd use our time today to that end, uh, guide me in the things that you've assigned me with, with teaching and for all of us in hearing, understanding, and responding in faith and obedience to you and to your word. And we thank you that we trust that you will do as you've promised for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, just a little bit of review. Well, actually, just a reminder uh, before we get into into the lesson itself, uh, the series that began a number of weeks ago is scheduled to conclude in two weeks on the 29th, and uh, Tim's intent with that last session, as it's noted on the back of your uh, handout there, is to be a conclusion and a Q&A, and so really to be an extended time for questions, answers, dialogue, discussion about all the things that we've been talking about over the course of the series. And so be aware of that and be alert to that. And if you have any specific questions uh, that may be on your mind now even, um, please submit those to Tim. Uh, his email is just tim at rivercitygrace.org. Uh, but submit those to him ahead of time, and that'll give a starting point for um, that session in a couple of weeks as we, as we try to wrap things up. So uh, please be alert to that. Well, just a little bit of a reminder, a little bit of review of, of things that Tim's covered here in previous weeks. A couple of weeks ago on the first, he talked about uh, the importance of understanding the purpose of the church and looked at a number of passages, uh, particularly Philippians 1 verse 27, Philippians 2 verses 1 to 4 that speaks about uh, having a humble mind following the pattern of Christ, First uh, Peter chapter 2 verse 9 that talks about our identity as God's people and um, that we've been called to proclaim the excellencies of Christ and that that is a corporate feature. And of course, there's many other passages as well. Uh, but Tim talked about the importance of understanding the local church as an outpost, as an embassy of the kingdom of God. And he spent a little bit of time talking about that relationship between God's kingdom and the local church in our age. Um, talked also about, and this was building on some previously, previous things as well, uh, understanding the design of God and his kingdom um, reflecting um, this diversity that he's built into creation and the diversity of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that even as a local church is a geographical gathering of God's people in a, in a local geographical place, 
as his people and in connection with his church universal, uh, we're called to embrace and to express the values, the priorities, the agenda of God's already not yet kingdom. It is already present in a spiritual sense in the reign of Christ spiritually, and we anticipate that day when he'll return and when it will become a physical, uh, fuller reality. And so in varying degrees, uh, and I know this was a a discussion point over the last few weeks as well, in varying degrees, uh, local churches should be expressing the redemptive kingdom diversity uh, that is bound up in God's design. Uh, We're reminded all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 and God's promises to Abraham that uh, took on greater definition and, and fullness in his covenant purposes Uh, that his purposes for Abraham and his family were to be the means or the instrument through which he would bless all the nations. And so there's a global, comprehensive, all-nations reality. And of course, in the book of Revelation, uh, we find in a number of places, such as in Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, that gathered around the throne are going to be people, those who have been redeemed from every tribe and tongue and nation. And so, again, in varying degrees, any given local church, depending on the nature of the community that it's in and a lot of other dynamics, um, is going to reflect to to certain degrees uh, that redemptive kingdom diversity. And uh, Tim also talked about the local church being the place then where the otherworldly, and and we could really say holy, uh, the holy otherworldly love and unity that is bound up in the very holy love and unity of the triune God is to be uh, increasingly manifest, increasingly expressed in the church. Uh, talked about within that also, and this is all still under this heading of the, the purpose of the church, uh, the priorities of the church, while they can be expressed a number of different ways, really revolve around exalting God, um, equipping or uh, edifying the saints, and of course evangelizing the lost. And uh, even as we've expressed that here, uh, it could be expressed numerous different ways, but to see God exalted as his grace and truth in Jesus Christ abounds in and overflows to more and more people. And uh, then how we carry out that purpose is to, to be pursuing the holy love, be pursuing and preserving the holy unity that God has put within us through his spirit and uh, through the fullness of his work. Um, Near the end of that time when Tim, or within the context of Tim talking about the purpose of the church, at one point he said this, and I'm just quoting him, there is one body belonging to the triune God formed by the gospel, therefore fight hard to preserve unity together among you, and do this with the Christ-like spirit-empowered weapons of all of the qualities that are identified in numerous passages of scripture, particularly ones, and ones we're going to look at in a little bit more detail this morning in Ephesians chapter 4 and in Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to come to those in a few moments, um, but we'll be looking at those. And they're all the, the, the holy love and the holy unity that we're to be walking in and to be uh, preserving and growing in is expressive of the one holy, loving, reality, unity of the triune God. 
So uh, those were just some thoughts and truths related to the purpose of the church. Then last week, Tim talked about some of those spirit-empowered tools for dealing with thorny tensions, which uh, certainly apply in a lot of different contexts, but uh, even with regard to our relationships with one another in a local church. So talked about the importance of, of listening uh, to one another, listening with understanding, uh, not just hearing words, but making sure we're understanding what those words that anybody may be communicating mean. Uh, sympathizing, having a high regard for being sympathetic to one another, as we're encouraged in First Peter uh, chapter uh, 3 and verse 8, many other places as well, and also lamenting. And uh, Tim spent some time unpacking that a little bit, the sense of, of expressing prayer to the Lord uh, that expresses pain and yet is leading to trusting the Lord. And expressing that uh, both with those things we feel for ourselves, but even as we uh, recognize and observe the pain of others. And it really brings in that sense of what Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 12 of weeping with those who weep as well as rejoicing with those who rejoice. And so uh, that was the focus last week of talking about those things in a little bit of detail. And, of course, as I put there in the introduction, some key passages that inform all of those different aspects of, of the purpose of the church and uh, of, of how we grow in our relationships with one another. And we'll touch on a few of those as we go through some things here. But what I want to do today and, and have be the focus of the things that we talk about and interact about today is really nothing new. Um, it's not going to be anything um, earth-shattering in terms of things probably uh, that, that, that you don't already know, but rather just to uh, talk and interact and unpack more fully and think together more fully implications and points of application related to a lot of the truths that we've been considering and just how they play out, especially in our relationships with one another. And so that's why, as I said, I, I want it to be uh, very interactive and, and want to just... Uh, discuss these things, dialogue about these things as we try to work out implications and points of application. So the way I want to do that is, is a few different ways, and this forms the outline of things that are on your notes there. First of all, just to think together about some of the categories of differences among God's people. Uh, this whole series has certainly revolved around matters of ethnicity, but there's a lot of other uh, categories of differences. And so I want to take a little bit of time to talk about that and then to uh, identify and think about factors that can undermine the unity of the Spirit among us, um, to think about what are the things that fight against that, what are the things that, that work against that, and uh, to talk about that, and then uh, to think together about practical implications of numerous elements of holy love and holy unity. Uh, how do we safeguard unity with love? And just to think about that, particularly looking at Ephesians 4 and uh, Colossians chapter 3 and some of the qualities, some of the spirit-empowered qualities that are identified there. And again, just to think, talk together about what, what does that look like and think about together. So hopefully that gives a bit of sense of where we've been and where we want to go this morning as we look at and as we talk about these things. So, hope everybody's ready and awake. Um, first of all, what are many of the different, whoops, what are many of the different um, categories of differences that 
exist in a local church. And even thinking about uh, our specific local church here of River City Grace, what are uh, some of the categories of differences that are evident among us? And just feel free. Ages? Okay, absolutely. Yeah, ages, Matt. I like to keep my hair cut a little bit shorter. Yes. (laughs) Okay, yep. I think it's manifold, right? Yeah. The differences that exist among us. Yes. Obviously, you're one specific, but I think we can get very granular if we want. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Lots and lots of differences, and to varying degrees of uh, significance of those differences, for sure. Matt Boyd, were you raising your hand or just stretching? Oh. Oh. <laughs> uh, we can do education level and or so, and social class. Okay, education level, social class. Wilson? Uh, different upbringings, experiences. Okay, absolutely. Different upbringings, experiences, and, and those have huge impacts. Sherry? Uh, how long we've been a believer. <clears throat> yeah, how long you've been a believer and... And related to that, just spiritual maturity, which, which isn't necessarily, um, doesn't necessarily correspond to the length of time of being a believer, but just, yeah, differing levels of maturity, understanding. Yeah, it's huge, huge difference. Yeah. Other things. Gary? I, I was thinking the difference in families. We have different families that have different eating habits, different social contents and things like that. So okay. differences in families. Yep. Differences in families, and, and obviously sort of related to that, too, would be just, just status, um, married, single, um, children, no children, all those kinds of things, and, and just the dynamics within family. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, Jason? Uh, gender. Gender. Yep. Obvious, but, 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 but important. Yeah. Gary? And disabilities. Yeah, yeah. Abilities and disabilities, absolutely. Lots of different um, factors there. Tyler? Hobbies or interests. Yeah. Hobbies, interests, yep. Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a lot. Yeah, Chen Wei, go ahead. I was saying introversion, extroversion, just personality differences. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Personality. It's a good, I hadn't even thought specifically of that, but you're absolutely right, and that, that comes into it. Yeah, and as, as Matt said, I mean, there's, there's almost a limitless number of differences. Um, but the point is, is that God's fashioned us that way. And, and it all comes to play in the fabric or, or mosaic of, of a local assembly. And certainly ethnicity is one of those, but it's not the only one. And uh, it has bearing, but it's good for us, I think, to, to think about that. Now, I do have a follow-up question related to that, and if anybody else has any other differences you want to know, feel free to do that. But is it helpful to, to recognize all those kinds of differences? Is it, is it helpful as God's people in a local church to be aware of all those differences? And, and if so, why? And if not, why? What, what do you think? Is that helpful? Cindy? I think sometimes it's, it's good to take that in consideration when you're talking to the person because it helps you know... Um, more of their viewpoint and you can give them a little bit more grace if that you know that they, they come from a different generation or a different background or something then you can uh, know that you don't understand it totally yeah excellent yeah I, I totally agree and I, I, um, 
I never cease to be amazed as, as I get to know people, and this has played out true for a lot of you as I've gotten to know you, and some I know better than others, but uh, you know, I have a certain point of reference of, of knowing anybody from being here on a Sunday and seeing you on a Sunday, but as we talk and get to know, I'm always intrigued with the sense of, boy, I really didn't know you, you know, and there's so much that encompasses our lives that is, uh, yeah. Yeah, Matt. I think because of our natural tendencies to want to sort um, based on for a variety of issues, you know, whether it be personal interest or whatever, and as it regards the local church being something that should be unified, I think being aware of differences that we might be inclined to be gravitating towards um, helps us to keep in check ways we might be ostracizing people or, or not interacting with others, uh, thereby not reflecting Christ's unity in the church. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Just to be aware and, and how, how do I naturally maybe move towards a certain group of people because of whatever age or haircut length or whatever, you know. Yeah. Are you jealous of my hair, man? No, I mentioned it. You, I love hanging out with okay, you. Okay, all right. <laughs> you mentioned it a couple times, so I'm just uh, curious. So, no. You're not on my mind. Okay, all right. For obvious reasons. I'm just self-conscious. So, uh, I noticed it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yes. I'm, no, I'm heading there. Part of what I hear you saying, too, if, if I hear what you're saying right, is we can unintentionally um, disconnect from others because we're not more intentional about pursuing one another with differences. Jason? Yeah, and I think some of these categories are explicitly mentioned in the New Testament as either things to be careful of or to emphasize. So, like, for example, you know, James mentions you know, showing favoritism to the rich over the poor, same problem in the Church of Corinth, and so example of a awareness of a category that we have to be very careful about. And then you've got, um, you know, um, older women discipling younger women, and so there's both gender and age sort of interplays there as well. And so these categories aren't things that are ignored or glossed over. In some cases, they're, they're emphasized. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So they're, 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 we're, we're to operate within them very conscientiously. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, Marcy. Some are more hospitable. I have to give them hospitality, where somebody's more like a server doer, and just recognizing the weakness of our gifts in regards to the strengths of our gifts, and who can help us, you know, strengthen our. You know, because God Himself says that everybody can do one thing. It's gift the hospitality, the gift of. Yep. So just recognizing that too. Yep, absolutely, and and that I don't think we even mentioned that as a key difference is just our spiritual gifts and different ways that God has wired us, and and as you're alluding to, that we're all a part of one body, and and to have a, a recognition and a regard for that, so that we're more effectively nurturing that. So yeah, absolutely, it's good. You know, another difference, too, I don't think we explicitly mentioned, it's kind of alluded to thinking about spiritual maturity, but even just differing um, levels of our understanding of Scripture and then from that, biblical convictions um, and, and theological convictions in all kinds of areas uh, and practical convictions, too, you know, in terms of uh, how things play out in life. I mean, we've certainly experienced that the last few years with everything related to COVID and restrictions and opinions and perspectives uh, regarding so many facets of that. And, and there can be a lot of variance. So that's a whole nother aspect and area. But 
Any other thoughts about the importance of recognizing differences before we move on to the next question? Well, yeah, can you share some sure. experiences with me? Now, I guess I was fortunate to be a school teacher in a in a school with many many cultures and languages, getting to know these different students and recognizing the differences. I find is helpful for me in understanding some of these things we've been talking about in here, and uh, so I, you know, I would encourage getting to know these people and just like like we say, listening and, and understanding. So I think I'm fortunate in that I have been exposed to these things, yes. and uh, I would encourage us as a church not to run away from it. Yeah. But uh, you, you can learn a lot. Yeah. Amen. That's a great encouragement. And you have had unique and wonderful experience with that. And even living in a, in a very diverse, larger community, you know, gives us lots of different opportunities in that way. So, well, let me, uh, let's move on uh, to the second uh, matter here, just to chat a little bit about just what are some of the factors that undermine the unity of the Spirit? If, as we know from Ephesians 4, and again, we're going to come to the passage directly in a few moments here, uh, but that we're to be diligent to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, what are some of the factors that fight against that? What, what works against that? I mean, we know in the broadest sense, of course, sin, um, but that can be expressed and manifest in lots of different ways. Um, so what, what would be some of those ways? Gary? Okay. Selfishness. Any specific thoughts, Gary, even about just like how would that work against the unity of the spirit? Uh, like maybe interacting with somebody would be inconvenient. Okay. Yeah. It takes more effort. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an excellent point. Just uh, it does take effort, even just very practically, even like here, you know, to to go up and talk to somebody. It. it it takes effort, so that's a great point. Yeah, Blake. Sinful anger or holding a grudge against another person at church for some reason. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Which can be passive or active, and how it's manifest. But holding a grudge, not forgiving. Absolutely. Yep. Other thoughts? Yeah, Wilson. Vision because of preferences. Uh, preferences over music or certain styles of. Uh, I don't know, clothing or... Hair. <laughs> Sorry. We, we can tend to turn preferences into things that divide us. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And yeah, and, and, and those preferences can be either, can probably be on a continuum of, of pretty significant or insignificant. So yeah, good point. No. Yes, Austin. Ignorance. So not taking into account of the differences when you're interacting with someone. Okay. Yeah. Can be huge. Ignorance. Yeah. Gary. I find one probably, at least in my mind, one of the most important ones is pride. Mm-hmm. I'm better than you. Mm-hmm. Yep. I do better than you. Right. You know. Yep. This can be uh, very deep and very pervasive. So, absolutely. Yeah. Jason. Matt alluded to this too, but some of this stuff can be sort of separation by accident. So, like logistical issues, you know, nap times for kids, where you live, those sorts of things. You're not necessarily, uh, you know, anti other believers, but you just sort of naturally segment around ease of, of getting together and life situations. Yeah. 
That's a great point. Yeah, just dealing with logistical, geographical, life situation things that that, that can make it easier to check out a bit. Yep, great point. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, Chen Wei. You like gossip or indirect gossip, like oh, um, this person is. You can say this person struggling with something, or I mean, I, I think there's ways we can say things that unintentionally or intentionally that we could break up the unity of spirit by kind of not not revealing the unflattering parts of other people's lives. Yes. And we could easily spiritualize the gossip in terms of prayer requests or just being really burdened for another person because such and such. Yeah. I, I've been guilty of that maybe a time or two, but I've heard of that too. No, you're right. Yeah, subtle ways. And words, I mean, just even the broad category of words that, that either intentionally and, and uh, in a mean-spirited way or just insensitively can, can be very harmful, very hurtful. Well, lots of different ways and lots of, lots of things to be thinking about. And, and I, I identify that or I highlight that for us to just think about a little bit because we recognize it's a fight and, and it doesn't just happen naturally. Uh, even for people who are regenerate, even for people who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, and because of that, aspire to want to honor Him and want to uh, be faithful in the things that He's called us to, it doesn't just happen. It, it, we have to work at it um, by God's grace and, and employ everything that He's uh, entrusted us with to that end. If it was simple and if it did just happen, we wouldn't need most of the New Testament. Um, but the Lord has been pleased to instruct us in great detail because there's so much that works against it, and we always have to be on the alert. Well, with those things in mind then, just thinking about recognizing many of the different categories of differences, and, and again, it encompasses ethnic differences, and even as we uh, walk with one another in the context of the local church in the midst of such differences, but it extends way beyond that, and uh, uh, many, many things for us to think about. I want to just get practical uh, with thinking about otherworldly love, otherworldly unity, holy love and holy unity. And let's go ahead and turn to Ephesians 4, and we're going to spend some time in this passage, and then after a bit, we'll go to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, which somewhat parallels uh, Ephesians 4. There's some overlap with a, a few of the terms that are mentioned. But let me just read Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6 once again. And uh, as we know, this is a transitional section in Paul's whole letter. He spent the first three chapters talking about the riches of all of the spiritual blessings that God's people have in Christ and really our identity in Christ and uh, the fullness of, of what God has done in Christ for his people, what he's forming us as his body, all to the praise of the glory of his grace. And now he's turning the corner in chapter four and, and getting very specific and practical on how we work it out. So verses one to six, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
And with what he says there in verses 4 through 6 in the unity of the triune God and the work that he has done, it's within that unity that we're to live out our calling as his people and to uh, walk worthy as he says. And uh, just a reminder, the worthy walk, the walk terminology, of course, has to do with our whole pattern of life, our whole manner of life. He uses that term a number of times in Ephesians, and we find it many other places in the New Testament as well. It has to do with our whole manner of life, and to walk worthy means that um, how we live should be appropriate to or consistent with or proper and fitting to the calling that we have as God's people, as his people whom he has blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And one point to underscore that just is both embedded and just inherent to all of this is that we can only be faithful to a worthy walk in the context of living out relationships in the local church. Paul's writing to believers in the church of Ephesus. And of course, what he's writing uh, comports with things that he's written to other churches and consistent with with all of God's word, it can only play out in the context of relationships in a local church. Uh, Certainly our relationships go beyond just those that we have with one another in a local church, uh, but that's the heartbeat of it, and that's where God intends it to be, kind of be the epicenter of it. Um, We cannot be faithfully walking worthy if we're not engaged in and pursuing the, the kinds of relationships the Lord has for us. Uh, even with the messiness, even with the challenge and the difficulty of all of it, uh, because none of us are fully sanctified and because of all these areas of difference that we recognize and, and uh, just because of all of it. So, so what I want to do is just look at these specific qualities in verses 1 to 3, humility, gentleness, and so on. Um, I'll give just a brief little bit of explanation to each one of those qualities And then uh, I want us to think about a few things with each of these qualities. And I should have put these little prompt questions in your handout. My apologies for not doing that. Um, But I'll reiterate them a number of times, so don't worry about getting them all down. But just first of all, uh, for each quality to think about how does this quality contribute to holy, this quality of holy love contribute to safeguarding holy unity? How does this quality contribute to safeguarding holy unity? And then just to think a little bit about what does this quality look like in action? What does it look like in action? And then related to that, how can we cultivate this quality more fully? So uh, the first question for each one is how does that quality contribute to safeguarding holy unity? And then what's it look like in action? Maybe even thinking about some relational examples and, and scenarios of what it looks like in action, and then how do we cultivate it. So, so does that make sense with, with uh, the plan and with where we're going? So first of all, humility. Uh, not hard to understand, very hard to live out, right? Uh, we all, as I think Gary alluded to earlier, we all wrestle with pride, and we all can be guilty of pride in a lot of different levels. But humility has to do with a lowliness of mind uh, that really is born out of a right understanding of who God is and a right understanding of who we are in relation to Him. 
And I think it's significant uh, that Paul begins, as he uh, begins this whole section that carries on through the end of the letter with all these very specific commandments and exhortations, and even within the general exhortation of verses 1 to 3, he begins with humility, uh, perhaps suggesting that it is foundational to everything else, that we have a, a right understanding of who God is and who we are, and it's really the proper response of a deepening awareness of all that God has blessed us with in Christ. And indeed, you, you, you know, we have a tendency, or at least I can have a tendency, to rush to the exhortations of chapters 4 through 6. As I think about my own life and as I think about uh, the lives of others, uh, both just in general and even as a pastor, I can have a quick tendency to run to chapters 4, 5, and 6 regarding what we're to do. But everything in chapter 4, 5, and 6 is built upon the foundation of the blessings that God's given to us in Christ as he speaks of those in chapters 1 to 3. So humility is having a deepening understanding of and embracing of all of those blessings of what God has done for us in Christ and then living in light of that. So right understanding of who God is and who, who we are in relation to him. So how does humility contribute to holy unity, to, to safeguarding unity? How, do, how does humility contribute to that. Any, any thoughts about that? Marcy? I know for me specifically, um, it's just taking a step back, um, liking God's gifts. So I, with Grandma Dorothy and with Denise and a lot of the elders, um, I do Bible studies with them. And a lot of thinking about God is active, like doing hospitality, doing all these things. But there's also the passive ways to serve God through prayer, through just listening and just being there for one another and um, the like I said passive gifts and just learning from them that there's a quality in like being active and doing there's also a quality of being still and listening to God and just walking through God in prayer too and just learning that um just, just learning that and just learning to just be still in the presence of God because with Grandma Dorothy and Denise, they can't do a lot physically, but they can be with God quietly and praying for us as a body too and serving in that way, just yeah. learning those lessons. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So it's a, you're saying it's a disposition, it's a posture that um, isn't always expressed in Action is it much of, yeah, even if the, but it, yeah, the action of just listening, being there. Excellent. Yeah. Great. Any other thoughts? Yeah, uh, Christy. When I was reading this and thinking about a specific situation, I was thinking, this might make someone go, oh, I just shouldn't, I shouldn't um, address something that needs to be addressed. And really, I think it means that we can, it's loving to address something, but with an attitude of humility. Yeah. Excellent point. Yeah. Humility doesn't mean being passive. Yeah. It means being active, but, but with the right heart, with the right attitude. Yep. That greatly, if there is something that needs to be addressed, something that needs to be confronted, it greatly informs how we do that. Huge. Yeah. Absolutely. Years ago, I remember, I've, I don't remember who the commentator was, but... Um, talking about humility, he just said it's the oil that smooths out relationships in the body of Christ. And I just thought that is a great word picture because it, it, it is. It just 
changes everything if we have a humble disposition. So let's see. Gary, were you going to say something? No. Okay. Um, so we talked a little bit. Any other thoughts about what humility might look like in action? We, we could spend lots of time on all of these, of course, but yeah. Earn. Uh, I think practically one of the hardest things to do, and I think uh, sincere show of humility is accepting correction yeah. and rebuke. I think it's uh, especially it's a tough pill to swallow, and I think uh, anyone doesn't is not comfortable when going through that process, and I think it takes some humility to actually recognize it, uh, accept it, and to correct it. Yeah, great point. Yeah, it reveals a lot about just how humble we are. So it's an excellent point, taking correction. Good thing to pray for. Lord, give me some correction so I can be humble. I'm kind of joking, but, uh, but it would be a good thing to pray for, so... That's a good, great point. Sherry? Just to be teachable. Teachable. Yeah, very much related to yeah. that. I'm hearing, so forgive me. No, no, it's totally I'm fine. Repeating, so. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that was totally legitimate, being teachable. So, so yeah, that's, that's one key way it can play out, being willing to not only give correction in a humble way, but to receive it in a humble way. And, and recognizing that we need it. So, so what are some ways that, that we can cultivate, grow in humility, just in our own lives, being humble before God and with one another? Any thoughts about that? Yeah, Blake. Seeking out counsel from other believers and, and a whole variety of subjects like sanctification, fellowship with the church, and anything and everything into the set. Yeah. Great observation. Yeah, just taking the initiative to seek out counsel and ask for help, ask for input. Excellent. Yeah, I like that. Any other thoughts, Gary? Yeah, I, I, for me, reading the scriptures mm-hmm. and paying attention to what, what they're saying. And like I have always, for years, by say I would find the definition kind of of humility in First Peter, which is we're in the second chapter. 18 through the end of the chapter there by where Jesus Christ, you know, he committed no sin, received found his mouth, while being reviled, not reviled in return. I mean, this is the creator of mm-hmm. the universe. Mm-hmm. That's humility. Yes. Take that and then not reviled in return. And so read the scriptures. Yes. And I think that helps you a lot in, okay, formulating your worldview, your lifestyle. Excellent. Let, it, let it teach you. Yep, absolutely. And with a with a teachable heart, it says, I need to be taught. Yeah, absolutely. Marcy? Dealing on that, just recognizing that God has made all of us, formed us in the womb, and we've all been called to um, know him through Jesus Christ. So it's a level playing field. You know, we're all repented sinners here. And so just by that, you know, grace to each other. And yeah. And maybe another element of that, just another spin on that, is recognizing and embracing that even in view of all the different things that mark us differently. That's a reality that is the same. We're all created in the image of God. We're all, if, if we've come to faith in Christ, we've all been redeemed by His grace and only by His grace. And so whatever else marks us differently, ethnicity or otherwise, that's a fundamental reality. So yeah, it's excellent. 
Well, excellent. We could, again, exhaust all of these, but for time we'll kind of move on uh, with each of these. The whole matter of gentleness, gentleness. Uh, This has to do with meekness. Uh, That's how the same word is actually translated in Colossians chapter 3. But it has to do with meekness, which, which has to do with the sense of power under control. It doesn't mean wimpiness, it doesn't mean passivity, uh, but it means there's, there's power, there's confidence, and yet under the control of the Spirit. Um, I like the phrase, and I don't know who this is original with, I know it's not me, uh, but that gentleness has to do with sweet reasonableness. Sweet reasonableness. Um, it involves a sense of friendliness, it involves a sense of kindness, a sense of warmth, a sense of courteousness. Um, it's, a, it's a mildness of disposition. Uh, we use terms like somebody being approachable or unapproachable. That is probably encompassing a quality of, of gentleness. Uh, there's a sweetness, there's a reasonableness uh, about a person. And it's probably most fully expressed in both our demeanor as well as in our words and and how we speak and how we interact. So uh, how does gentleness contribute to safeguarding unity? And and we might just acknowledge, you know, all of these are born out of the Spirit of God. They're all expressive of of the life of the Spirit, and there's many others that could be identified as well. So they all kind of work together, but... Uh, so we're not singling them out to say they're separate, but just to just for the sense of focus. But how does gentleness work to contribute to uh, safeguarding unity in a local church? Yeah, Matt. Um, it's kind of the soft soft response turns away anger kind of an idea. So when if you can be gentle when you're approaching somebody, uh, less likely to respond in anger to you and like I know myself when people confront when somebody confronts me I my pride wants to dig my heels in a little bit but if you can approach me a little nicer yep tend to like oh yep just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down as a theologian once said so no and Matt is speaking of Proverbs 15.1 that says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And, and that just plays out a million times over. Sherry. I thought the word you said safeguarding is a, like a play on words almost because it helps, the gentleness helps people feel safe when they're with you. Yeah. Um, rather than thinking they're going to get hurt, they feel safe. Yeah. Great observation. Yep, it, it, it helps deepen that, strengthen that. Excellent. Gary? And with that, you're more approachable. Yeah. You have a gentleness about you. Yep. And so you're more apt to be sought for help. Yep, excellent. Which, which has a lot of positive, godly impact. So how about, uh, and we've kind of touched on this, what's that look like in action? We've, we've alluded to that a little bit, uh, even with some things already said. But any other thoughts about what gentleness might look like in action? Certainly, our words, Wilson. Uh, speak quicker to listen, slower to speak. Okay. Uh, I, I like that word, being approachable. Um, I think of what Paul says in Philippians two about considering the interests of others and, and not so much of your own. And so that'll play out and express itself in the way that you talk less, listen more. 
Excellent. Yep. Lots, lots of practicality. Uh, any thoughts about how to cultivate that? Cultivate gentleness in our in our demeanor and our relationships. Practice it. Practice. Yes. Right. Just do it. Yep. 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 Uh, easier said than done. Yes. I, yes. I think obviously prayerful practice. Yep. I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Pray and practice and just strive to be. Yeah. Well, if you're humble, it helps you to be gentle. Yes. Excellent. They work together. So absolutely. Well, good. Well, um, let's keep moving on and uh, think about patience. Uh, pretty self-explanatory. Long-suffering. We understand it means a willingness to suffer a long time with another person, uh, to be slow to anger. Um, uh, one scholar has defined it as a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune without complaint or irritation. Uh, so it comes into play when there's occasion to be provoked. Um, it, it's a sense of calm, a state of emotional calm. Obviously, the opposite of anger, being quick to judge or condemn, um, any of that. So, so how does that play out in our, in our relationships with one another? How does it contribute to holy unity? Some of these I know, they're kind of self-evident and, and, and uh, obvious, but just for the sake of, of teasing them out a little bit. How does play patience contribute to that? Yeah, Don. Well, well, all these, I think, it's something you've got to be thinking about all the time. You can't just wait until uh, you get to a hard spot and uh, think about it. Uh, it's a way of living and thinking your life. Mm-hmm. It's an overall disposition. Yep, absolutely. Yep. I, I find, I know Tim talked about this last week, um, the tendency in conversations with people, especially if it's about some you know, significant issue, whatever it may be, uh, I find in my own soul just a tendency to to want to rush to say what I'm thinking and, and not even really listening to the other person and being convicted about the need to be patient because rather than really listening, really understanding, I'm already formulating my own rebuttal or, or whatever it may be. And so just being patient in that sense um, with, with engaging. Uh, any other thoughts about uh, practical ways that safeguards unity, what it may look like, and also how we can cultivate patience with one another? And all of these, in, in the broad sense, as you said, Matt, prayerful practice. <laughs> but there may be practical aspects or other specific aspects of that as well. Yeah, Wilson. I just like to think that uh, myself, especially, but every Christian in general, uh, we're all under construction. So, so we're progressing in sanctification. None of us have arrived. And so I, I think about that fact and just the need to, to be more patient with other people because everyone's going to be different in their stage of their walk with the Lord. And That's a great point. And that, that speaks to um, expectations in many ways, just a, a right expectation and awareness that none of us are perfect, none of us have fully arrived. And uh, that's vital because sometimes we think we should be or we think others should be, and so then we get impatient and react when somebody's not what we want them to be or think they should be. 
and uh, can bring division. So, Tyler? my teeth and be patient with somebody, then often I'm just, maybe I feel proud or I'm waiting for some recognition or I'm waiting for something, some payoff from just gritting my teeth and being patient rather than just remembering how patient God is with me and letting that be what motivates me to love someone else by being patient. Yes. Amen. It's mind-boggling how patient he is with any of us, yeah. And we, and we see that play out again and again in Scripture, so absolutely. Well, related to that, let's talk about a little bit bearing with one another in love, um, just continuing to, to drive these things home. The sense of bearing here has to do with enduring difficulty uh, with another person. Uh, in that sense, tolerating one another, not retaliating or negatively reacting uh, but bearing with each other uh, in our weaknesses, in our personalities, in our temperaments, in our idiosyncrasies, in our faults, in our failures, in our sins, in our preferences, in our levels of maturity. I mean, there's all these things, even within all the categories of differences and ways in which we're different. Um, and the sense of bearing here is not really just putting up with one another. We might think of it that way, just kind of grit your teeth and put up with it, like when you have to sit next to an undesirable person on the airplane or something like that. You just bear with it for a few hours and then you know it's over. It's not that at all. It's more like how you are to love and how we're to love one another in a family, uh, because we are a family um, in the fullest sense of the word. Of course, we're God's family, so it's tenaciously persevering. And doing so in love, that love undergirds everything, the full um, scope of God's holy love in Christ. Um, so what are some of the ways that bearing with one another contribute to um, safeguarding unity? And, and, and what does that look like? What are some examples of how that plays out in our relationships with one another in needing to bear with each other in love? Matt? I think what, what Wilson had reminded us of earlier is that we're all under construction. Um, and so we will sin against one another. And there are occasions where we can overlook those sins uh, with the greater desire to, you know, let that inform our prayers for them. Or um, And so bearing with one another is sometimes taking the injury and forgiving it without any sort of need to even seek reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's occasion for that, and there's need for that in the body. Um, but we're all under process, and and if we know that we're all, you know, if Christ has redeemed that person, God is at work, and and so maybe even seeing ways that we might be an instrument in God's hands to help that person grow in a loving and caring way. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Having wisdom, like you said, there's times where we just overlook offenses, uh, perhaps without saying something, and, and uh, having wisdom and discernment about whether it would be beneficial or not to do that. So, it's excellent. Yep. Any other thoughts? Barbara? Sometimes, um, when you don't know what somebody's going through, and it takes time for them to get through it, and so bearing means you're going to... That's a great point as well. It certainly connects with being patient and and gentle and all of that as well. 
and, and being willing to, to put up with it. It's, you know, in our, uh, in our day and age, in our consumeristic world with our own natural inclinations towards sin and pride and selfishness and uh, kind of an immediate push-button drive-through culture that we live in, it's easy when there's challenges in relationships in a local church to not bear with one another and to either check out mentally or emotionally or spiritually, sometimes checking out physically and just saying, it's, I, I don't want to bear with these people anymore. And uh, it's, it's, yeah, being alert to that, but saying, no, I'm going to be devoted and committed to. Any, any other thoughts with that and even just how we keep cultivating that sense of, of such a devotion that is willing to bear with one another? And our differences, Christy. I think it's just important. I'm speaking for myself, just to uh, allow yourself to get to know the body, so like so that there's transparency. So we know one another, and we know how to bear with one another, or uh, or address things with one another. And I, I think the more that I get to know the body, I mean, you're. You're learning how to become a family by bearing with one another's, because we all have, we don't all mesh together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just exposes what, you know, areas in my life that I need to work on. Yep. Like, the more I get to know people here, sometimes the more I need to apologize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so exposing my sin to myself. Yep. That's a great point. I appreciate your openness in that. And, it, and an element of that is it does take Time it takes lots of time because, and we can't know everybody in the fullest, in the same degree. Obviously, even with a church body of, of our size, um, but it does take time. Relationships take time, and, it, and it's sometimes we're we're not as patient. So, well, more could be said with that one. Did anybody else want to make a comment before we move on? The other, just to keep moving along. Well, let's. Uh, He goes on to say, being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And this kind of brings it all together uh, in terms of safeguarding the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, Just to unpack that a little bit, when he says eager, uh, that sense of being eager uh, to maintain, the the sense of eagerness has to do with taking pains with something. Uh, having a disposition that is recognized it's, it's urgent, it requires intense effort, um, using speed, haste, making every effort uh, necessary in responding to a crisis situation. I, I think of it like a fireman, you know. Um, firemen are paid to be eager to respond to fires. So if they're at the the, the fire station and the alarm bells go off, they don't sit back and think, oh, what a hassle. Why is this going on? No, this is the very thing they're paid to do and they're trained to do. And so when the alarm bells go off, there's an immediate eagerness to respond. And I think that's the kind of eagerness that Paul is speaking of here and that every believer takes that responsibility. It's not just the pastor's job or all the pastor elders or the deacons or this person or that person. Every single one of us takes ownership to say, this is my responsibility uh, to be eager for this. And the sense of maintaining means to to guard, to keep over. That's where we're getting the sense of safeguarding uh, the unity of the spirit, Uh, keeping an eye on it, being alert to it, recognizing that there are all kinds of things that 
that um, Satan would use to bring division in the body of Christ, and so being alert to that. And again, the unity of the Spirit is speaking of the unity and the oneness that is produced by the Spirit of God. We don't produce the unity. God produces the unity through His Spirit, um, but we are called by His Spirit to preserve that unity and in the bond of peace, uh, which is kind of the, the binding chain which ties it all together. Uh, the sense here is the, the, the unity is the bond that consists of peace, um, that we recognize this is uh, God is a God of peace who has brought us to peace with himself in Christ, calls us to live that out. So, Again, the sense is is that when there's anything that may be attacking the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, it should trigger alarm bells in our heart and in our mind and and move us to an eager action and responsiveness. So any thoughts about um, what that looks like, how that contributes to obviously safeguarding uh, holy unity, what it looks like in action, how we can cultivate that more? Any thoughts about that? And even thinking about as we deal with dicey, thorny, difficult uh, issues, uh, whether they're relational, theological, all kinds of things. Yeah, Sherry. Well, um, I'm somebody that uh, in my old church, people would see me and walk in another direction after my child died. Mm. They did not know how to deal with me. So they walked in another direction. Mm. That is the most painful thing in the world. And I love your um, example of the firemen because when people are hurting, you want to go to them. And that's what helps their healing process. Even if you fumble over everything you say, go to them. And say something, anything. Excellent. And that's what we're to do because that's what people need. Yep, yep. Yeah, just even trusting that the Lord's going to use us. And, and, and like you said, that can become by inaction or inattentiveness. Sadly, it can disrupt that unity. Run from that kind of stuff because it's too uncomfortable. Yep. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, exactly right. Yep. Yeah, Gary. And then you said something about you know, how to cultivate this. And it's something that I've been kind of working on in my own you know, Bible study or reading, and I I found like in Second Peter, and it says, uh, "Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent." Now, I don't. Now it says diligent. I don't know if yours would. What I forget what uh, the diligence in. Yeah, that's okay. You said, but whether diligent or you know the eager, I don't know if it's the same diligent. But, but diligence to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So he listed many of the same things that we're talking about here in Ephesians. And I think sometimes we as Christians, then we kind of forget. And I know, I think in my own life, I don't think that I really spent the time in the scriptures that I did that I do now and and then I credit a lot of that to you because of attending the the uh, servant leadership training class and got me well oh, thinking more exegetical instead of or just casual reading mm-hmm. but we practice these things you'll never stumble 
And then he also says, you know, and I consider right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. And I would challenge us as Christians sitting in this church that we need reminding. Well, where do we get this reminding? Spend some time in the Word and then practice these things. You know humility. You know perseverance. You know these things. But you've got to practice them. And so if we practice them diligently, really go after it. And so I think uh, that will help us to cultivate this this culture yeah. of meekness, humility, and all of these things. So, in other words, I just challenge us all, get into that word, spend some time, yeah. read it carefully. Yeah. Amen. And even as we're doing that, to continually be in the word, I mean, that's a huge, that, that's, that's what our gathering together weekly centers around, too, in nurturing that, 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 that we're corporately being fed by God's word, being reminded of things, being taught, exhorted, encouraged, confronted, comforted, all of those things. Um, but that also then spills over into to our own time in the word. So absolutely. It's all interwoven together, for sure. Jason. I think on this one in particular, I mean, you know, when we, when we have time of prayer for our church family, we can pray for individual things, but there's also the big picture things we can pray for at least periodically, regularly. And this is definitely one of them. And there's a definitive relationship between the things you pray for and sort of how aware you are of those things and how it kind of translates into your own life and practice. And I think if we're regularly praying for this, it will translate more into action. In fact, that's actually one of the ways that God, I think, answers that prayer. Yep. Yep. Excellent point. Being, being mindful, if I hear what you're saying again, of various specific requests that we all have and that we share and that we pray about, but also mindful of see, praying about the, the deeper, fuller cultivation of these things and growing in that. Yeah, yeah it's super instructive with Paul and his letters, even in Ephesians, as we know at the end of chapter 1, at the end of chapter 3, in light of all these things that he's sharing about our calling, the blessings God's given, he says, this is how I'm praying for you because of that. So it very much corresponds to how these things would be manifest more fully. So, amen. Absolutely. Let's see. Smokey, were you going to say something? Yeah. um, I think one way that can help us maintain the union of the Spirit, and it's difficult to need, is to recognize what things can look like if we don't do that that there's a danger if there isn't a deliberate, prayerful effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. It can, things can get um, very sorrowful, messy, and um, so it is, a, it is a danger to be guarded against. Yeah. Yeah. And firemen having to guard against that fire spreading. Yeah, excellent point. It, it's horrible. And let alone the grief and the agony and the, the pain of all of that, that undermines God's design to glorify himself through the church and glorify himself through the holy love, holy unity that he wants us to exhibit. So... Absolutely. Yeah, Psalm 133 says it's good and pleasant when brothers dwell together in unity, and obviously the opposite is true. It's bad and horrible when that's not true. So, Well, um, 
let's let me just we're kind of come near the end of our time and and uh, there's as we've said so much we could unpack with all of these I'll just make reference to Colossians chapter 3 again it's somewhat of a parallel passage to Ephesians 4 and even as uh, Gary observed with 2nd Peter chapter 1 and numerous other passages that we can point to uh, these things th- th- there's a lot that these are addressed in scripture and they are all manifestations of God's holy love and the fullness of what he wants us to walk in. So let me just read verses 12 to 15 of Colossians 3. Um, Paul says there, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, there's our calling again, uh, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has given you, so you also must forgive, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ uh, rule in your hearts, to which you were called, or to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And certainly there's some overlapping with things that Paul's already said in Ephesians um, in Ephesians 4, but uh, specifically here, we could have taken time to talk about the whole matter of compassion and just what that looks like in so many different ways that plays out uh, emotionally and practically and uh, those sorts of things. Same with kindness, uh, just a, an overall disposition that is kind and that seeks to do good to others for God's glory and is alert to myriads of different ways in which can, we can be kind. And of course, forgiving uh, one another, which is an aspect of bearing with one another, uh, which means to cancel a debt. And as Matt said earlier, sometimes uh, maybe we don't even address something. Other times we might address it, but nonetheless with a disposition always to forgive, to restore, to cancel the debt, and uh, to be expressive of that. And even the whole matter of thankfulness, as Paul says there at the end of verse 15, and be thankful. And then he goes on to echo that matter of thankfulness a little bit more in verses 16 and 17, which I didn't read. Um, but just even thinking about what a thankful, grateful heart, what disposition, what, what impact that has on how we safeguard unity uh, in the bond of love. If we're mindful of, of all that we have to be thankful to God for, all the spiritual blessings he's given in Christ, as, as well as his ongoing faithfulness and care for us. So all of those things are, are elements, and, and I rejoice as I was preparing this this week and thinking and praying through these things. You know, we're not a perfect church. We're all growing. None of us are fully sanctified. Uh, but in God's grace, I think there is just massive evidence of how he's working among us to these ends. And uh, all of you are a part of that and many others as well. And it's a huge blessing. I think about how that's manifest just Sunday to Sunday when we're together. Uh, I love that, that most Lord's Days when, when the service is dismissed, everybody doesn't just bolt for the doors and then is gone. Uh, usually there's a lot of lingering and visiting and interacting and uh, that plays out in our gatherings. And that's a huge blessing. Uh, I think about what goes on in our members' meetings, as we'll have another one a week from tonight. This wasn't a backhanded advertisement, but I just thought about that. But a week from tonight, we do have another members' meeting. Uh, but, but inevitably, I leave those just greatly refreshed and encouraged for what God's doing among us. And, and the sense, I think, that's deepening that we all recognize this is God's work. This is for His glory and His purposes. It's a huge blessing. 
Uh, I see these things evident in our own uh, pastor elder meetings as we normally meet every other week. And uh, as the four of us, myself, Gary, Smokey, and Tim interact, and sometimes the men who are deacons are, are together with us as well, and they often are having their own meetings. Uh, but those are always um, lively meetings. We don't always agree on everything. We don't see eye to eye. We're working through issues and talking through things. But always, by God's grace, there's a, there's a spirit of love. There's a spirit of wanting to safeguard uh, the unity that God has given. And sometimes it means we're making calls to one another after a meeting to just say, hey, I want to just make sure we're clear and good. And, but that's all part of it. It's a process. And so uh, just rejoice in what the Lord is doing and continues to. And let me just close um, with these thoughts on the end of the, end of the um, handout there on the last page. And I'll close it with this. Uh, and these are some reflections on just understanding our purpose as a church. One is from P.T. O'Brien in his commentary to the Ephesians. He says, The unity of the church is the means by which the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed to the universe. And that's what's referenced in Ephesians 3. The church is the eschatological output, uh, um, outpost, the pilot project of God's purposes, and his people are the expression of this unity that displays to the universe his final goal. And that's what God's doing and forming among us as his people now. And then Martin Lloyd-Jones says simply, but rather poignantly, the unity of the church is the manifestation of the perfection of God's triune unity and glory. And that's always what's at stake, um, that that is what he's intending to do, is to manifest the perfection of his triune unity and glory. So praise God that he's doing that among us and and pray that he'd continue to do more. And let me close us in prayer. Lord, thank you for the really brief time that we've had this morning to think about these things a bit. Uh, We pray that you would indeed help us to grow all the more in, in understanding the riches of the spiritual blessings that you've given in Christ and living in light of those and walking worthy in these very particular, specific, and practical ways. Uh, Lord, thank you for the time that we've shared for each one who's here. Uh, May your blessings be upon them as you would continue to work among us for your glory and for the advancement of the gospel through us. We thank you for the time in Christ's name. Amen and amen.